This is the Taiwanology podcast from Commonwealth Magazine, where we discuss Taiwan matters and why they matter to you. Coming to you from Taipei, the capital of the freest nation in Asia. Welcome to another episode of Taiwanology. I'm your host, Kuang Ying Liu, Managing Editor of Commonwealth Magazine. Today, we try to answer the following question. Has Taiwan's Me Too moment arrived? And what's next for gender equality in Taiwan? At the end of May, a young woman launched Taiwan's Me Too movement with her personal account of being sexually harassed while working with the ruling party. Over the following weeks, more than 100 victims, mostly women, have come forward to accuse prominent figures in politics, the arts, academia, and civil society of sexual harassment and abuse. More are expected to follow suit. To start off today's show, let's hear a first-person account from Lin Chen. She is a film director from Taiwan. Hi, Lin. Thank you for coming to the studio today. Hello, Guangying. Hello. So let's hear Lin's story. My name is Lin Chen, and I have been a filmmaker in Taiwan for 20 years. I have directed feature films, show films, documentaries, commercials, and music videos. Twelve years ago, I was hired to shoot a campaign advertisement in Kaohsiung by the former mayor's chief of staff, Hong Ji Kun. It turned into a nightmare. One day, the mayor's team claimed they couldn't book a business hotel for me and, without my knowledge, put me in a motel instead. They also rescheduled the meeting to late at night. That evening, Hong came to my room for a meeting. But then he asked me strange questions like, How much funding do you need to start a personal studio? I can help you. Later that night, he tried to hug me and touch my breast. I kept my distance, and I saw him touch himself under the blanket. I was terrified. The next thing I remember is making excuses to go to the bathroom, trying my best to delay and avoid him. I didn't sleep the whole night until he left in the early morning. Shortly after that, I lost that job. I was not even 30 years old at the time and, and didn't know how to speak up. It took me over a decade to find a language to say that I had experienced sexual harassment by someone in power. I'm choosing to speak out now because it feels safer. And I hope to help others to come forward. After going public, I faced threats of lawsuits, online attacks, and PTSD episodes. Many victims messaged me their stories privately. I also witnessed the Me Too movement in Taiwan getting momentum. Two weeks later, women in the film and television industry started to share their experiences. While most of the male-dominated industries remained silent, so I decided to express support and join their groups. 
providing information and assistance when needed. Exposing the scars is painful, but it's a start to ensure that everyone's experiences can be heard. I hope that the courage of individuals sharing their stories will contribute to making Taiwan society better, so that such oppression and crimes don't occur in the future. Thank you, Lin, for coming into the studio today and telling us your story firsthand. So many people are calling this Taiwan's Me Too moment. Almost six years after the Me Too movement broke in the U.S. and Europe, Me Too now has taken Taiwan by storm, sending shockwaves through the country as it prepares for a presidential election next January. Some might say it all started with the popular Taiwanese drama series Wave Makers, 人选之人造浪者 produced by Netflix, which drew parallels to real life events. In the story, a young female staffer working for a political party encountered workplace sexual harassment. As her male supervisors tried to sweep her complaint under the rug, she had the support of a senior female colleague. Her line in the drama series. Quote, "We're not going to just let it go, okay? We're not going to just let it go, okay? Unquote. Became a common thread connecting the numerous accusations that have appeared online over the past few weeks. Join us as we find out why some call this Taiwan's Me Too moment, while others do not agree. What kind of consequences will there be for the victims and the accused, and what implications will there be?" For Taiwan's gender equality, joining me today is Dr. Letitia Nianxuan, Fang Fang Nianxuan 老师 Associate Professor of National Zhengzhi University's College of Communication. Her research topics include digital sexual violence, misogyny, and gender equity issues in Taiwan. Welcome, Dr. Fang, to our show. Thank you for having me here. So let me ask you this question, Dr. Fang. We were talking before the show about Amber, the first young woman who came forward and launched Taiwan's Me Too movement. She inspired dozens of others to come forward, such as Lin, whom we just heard from. What do you think about her case? Why do you think she was able to launch the Me Too movement in Taiwan? Yeah, I would say that's a rare case because in her post, we have names, place, organization, titles. And all the interactions, all the elements for stories, but it's not just fiction. It's not just fictional stories. It's a real story which、mm-hmm. took place just not long time ago. So that's why it shocked the whole society. Especially, it took place in political realm in the dominant political parties. I think she's really brave, and general public simply cannot pretend they did not listen. They did not know. So this story really shocked the whole society.、Mm, yeah, it it has all the the facts, names, and also you have an, an organization that's trying to put this, you know, put this aside, ignoring her her needs. Exactly. So I guess many people are asking, what is the Me Too movement? How did it all start? Back in year 2017, it responding to the widespread cases of film producer Harvey Weinstein,、mm-hmm. the American actor Alisa Milano posted a message on Twitter calling people to share their experiences of sexual harassment. 
by using the term "me too," which means I also share, I also have this kind of experience. And actually, this term "me too" is adopted from the activist Tarana Burke, used a decade ago, and started from there. The hashtag Me Too movement went viral worldwide. We see, we back then we saw people, mainly women, taking it to the streets, shouting out loud for their rights not to be treated like this. However, here in Taiwan, or I should say, East Asian experiences are not very clear. Are not that clear. Now we get to see more comparative analysis about the region. Professor Huang Changling. Affiliated with Political Science Department, National Taiwan University, she has conducted comparative analysis in that nature. She cited a research by Lee and Murdai, year 2020, and the results found that women are more likely to engage in #MeToo_movement in countries where their political rights are better protected. But it did not seem to be the case in East Asia countries. That's kind of weird, huh? Professor Huang she noted that Taiwan is the first country legalizing same-sex marriage, and women's political representation is relatively high, forty-two percent in the national legislature. I would say so. The representation rate is relatively high as compared with other Asia countries, considered to be the most gender equal country in this region. And we have a female president. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it seems that we have we have it all. Yeah, but we have virtually no Me Too movement back then. Year 2018, people here in Taiwan, especially activists, NGO feminists, cry out loud and asking why we do not have this Me Too movement here. And and why yeah. is that? What kind of explanation do we have? The the question was raised six years ago, huh? As the Me Too movement hit Taiwan, well, at least hit public. Public understand they got to see this kind of news headlines with the words Taiwan version Me Too movement frequently back then. But the fact is, no cases qualify. I would say no cases qualify as to spark the movement. Activists, journalists, gender study scholars ask why we did not have the movement here. Social media seemed to be deadly quiet as compared to what took place elsewhere in the world. Again, I will cite Professor Huang Kuang Changling's research here. She was talking about like democratic countries such as Japan and Taiwan theoretically should be more nurturing for women to speak up, right?、Mm-hmm. But the Japanese media's lack of gender awareness and the Taiwanese media's lack of quality journalism. Actually inhibited the Me Too movement in those countries. I personally conducted analysis of the seemingly Me Too cases in news reports back in year 2017 and 2018. Not the young girls, for the women who spoke up and shared their experiences. The brave women who share experiences of being harassed. Basically, they were shredded online in news media. News media look at them suspiciously. Why is that? Well, see, actually, seriously speaking, credibility of the victims matters a lot. We all know that. But how journalists, how news media pursue, how they conduct investigation, try to dig out the real story, that matter also. Here in Taiwan, we try to provide stories 
very speedily and try to get、uh, general public's attention awareness. But it seems that the duration of each case is just so short, so brief. So not only general publics are very forgetful, and also journalists. It seems that the news media had no patience to dwell upon one single case. They just provide the stories, and then that's it. So we did not have serious investigative journalism in that nature back then. I mean, in reporting. Cases like that, you know, that's really sad to hear. And if I may provide maybe one in- way to interpret、mm-hmm. this, I think maybe back then when it all started, the journalists or maybe the media organizations in Taiwan did not take it seriously enough. One reason could be that it's part of our job. We see it every day, even within media organizations. There's a lot of me too, you know, harassment. Or even abuse happening, and it's been normalized by the society. And therefore, in the media organizations, maybe the supervisors themselves were men, and maybe themselves were perpetrators. We just they just didn't think this has any merit.、So、exactly, they just didn't think people would care about this because culturally. Women have no voice, and、uh, they are abused or harassed every day. It's just part of life. Deal with it. Yeah. Right. So I think female journalists like me. I mean, we have seen numerous cases, and they are normalized. So maybe that's one of the reasons why the journalists did not take it seriously enough. So that's sad to admit, but I think this also says to us that this is a time for change. So why did it take Taiwan so long? Why do you think this is happening now? You just mentioned at the beginning of this program saying that we have this wave makers. Yeah, the drama. Okay, and it's so popular, and everybody talk about it. And and for people who lag behind, they, they watch it and then join the public opinions and they share their not just ideas but also experiences. I was in the cafe, and just like several tables around me, everybody talk about share their daily experiences.、Wow. And it's rare the case that women, girls there, preach to their male partners and and telling them what they experience in working places. That's rare the case.、Yeah. Mm-hmm. But actually, back in nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, there are four women with different identities and different environments. They went through the similar journey. When they encountered sexual harassment incident and face a huge, this notorious structural problem. This was in Taiwan, right? Yeah, the feminist NGO Awakening, 妇女新知 commissioned the film director Chen Junzhi to produce this、uh, documentary film, War of Roses, 玫瑰的战争 which is very famous and and nowadays, especially recently, people remember and began to talk about this、uh, monumental film. Game. So back in 1990, 1999, almost 25 years ago, the, the feminist movement NGO Awakening had helped four sexually harassed women, and two of them filed the sexual harassment and won the cases. So back then, that the film was produced and the film was introduced to campuses. So the NGO, the director, carried the film and showed the film different. Campus and arouse a lot of attention, but still, after that, it didn't seem to me that the film or the talk elicit island-wide movement. 
no, that's not the case. There was no Facebook then. But you know, if you dig the newspapers, say twenty five, thirty years ago, you got to see the headlines like women experience sexual harassment in working places. So legislators spoke out loud and asked the government to dig into cases like that. Yeah, news reports did report cases like that, but that's it. Just like today, okay? We knew what happened, and a lot of women experienced that, and so be it. It's like they were individual cases, and the people saw it, and they were like, "Oh, poor them," but you know, that's life. Deal with yeah, it. Yeah, some people suspect, like, how come suspect the victim, the the women, mainly women, and saying that maybe that's the case. She wants to get something special. From the work colleagues or the boss, that's how. That's the way she used to please, and the result came out and did not satisfy her. So she complained. She filed a case. So a lot of saying like that went around.、Mm-hmm. So what's different about our society now that maybe there is less skepticism, or you think there is less hostility against women who who speak out? What's changed? What do you think? Just recently, for the for the past month, there are just so many cases, and in different walks of life, not just in political parties, not just in art, the arena, the sphere of sports, higher education. It's just like everywhere. The general public simply cannot pretend that this kind of cases is just unique. They did not exist. They are everywhere. Okay, and people start to talk and share their personal stories. So we realize it; it's everyday lives. So, but still, we are at a stage of witnessing, okay, all these cases popping up. But、uh, in terms of how to reform the laws, how when the cases go back to the individual institutes like、uh, universities, like companies, how the people gonna follow the guidelines there, conduct the investigation. And file the reports. We are still witnessing. Yeah, you know, we, we were just chatting before that so many organizations and companies are suddenly they are faced with、exactly. their employees voicing, you know, harassment that happened to them, and they just have no idea how to deal with them. So this is a very important learning process. I remember in a previous interview, Dr. Fang, you also spoke about the traditional Taiwanese culture that's keeping women from speaking out about their experiences. So, what's unique about this culture? What's keeping them from speaking out? Slut shaming—that's the thing. But that—that's not just something unique to Taiwanese culture. Okay, that's right. Worldwide, it's everywhere. Every, everywhere, especially in internet, it's just so common. I I I would say that the social role for women. Okay, we're the ones who naturally we're supposed to contribute emotional labor. Okay, women are expected to manage our feelings and expressions to fulfill the emotional requirements of a job. Look pretty and nice. As a university professor, I think <laughs> a woman professor is expected to be more affectionate. Be it service sectors or other professional jobs, that's the case. Okay. More specifically, workers are expected to regulate, manage their emotions during interactions with customers, colleagues, bosses, clients, and and so forth. At home, it is the case, of course. Okay, 
So it seems that also natural to look at women as the ones who can engage in emotional laboring jobs. That's the case in Taiwan. Plus, I mean, women are embarrassed or feel shameful when they address the issues related to sex, to gendered roles. For example, if you want to share your experiences of being sexually harassed, you will find you are in trouble because you don't have words, you don't have this kind of vocabulary. Attitude. Exactly, and you suspect how you you wonder you are anxious to know how others will look at you as you are the woman who address the issues you yourself and what kind of point you want to make. Okay. And you have to provide detail, not just vaguely what took place. You have to provide the details. And this is not a situation we are familiar with. Okay, it, it feels like it's a taboo, or women are trained, are socialized into this culture that we have nothing to do with being sexualized or sexualized into the objects. But that are the cases. I mean, everyday life experiences. So, I think it's. I, I'm not quite sure if that's unique to Taiwan culture, but obviously, for all the、嗯、victims who came forward share their stories, we get to see that they talk about how they are stunned. They right at that moment when they are touched, they are pushed. They try to drag into certain places. They are numb. They suddenly lost their senses. They did not know how to respond. It's just quite. It's just very natural because you are not used to think that way. Okay, you refrain from looking at yourself as the object, sex object, from other people's point of view. But it seems to me that's the norm that prevails in everyday life. Right. So I think all of us are just trying to find the vocabulary and trying. To find a new way to look at this, it's like we have we have been sleeping. We have never really thought about it before. Exactly. Okay, so we're going to take a break now, and when we come back to talk with Dr. Fang. Welcome back to the Taiwanology Podcast. I'm your host Guang Yingliu. My guest today is Dr. Nianxuan Fang, Associate Professor of National Zhengzhi University's College of Communication. So we were talking about the Me Too movement in Taiwan and what is keeping Taiwan so long from having its own Me Too movement. And this brings me to my next question: How is Taiwan's Me Too movement different from the movement in other countries, say Europe or the U.S.? If we consider what what's happening now, it's already. The movement taking place here, I would say at this stage we witnessed a lot of eruption, all kinds of cases popping up. We haven't really experienced the impact of law reform or different organizations, be it private or public, how they handle the case correctly, gracefully. So maybe we're at the first stage. Of this movement, just awareness, and also in a, in a previous interview on this subject, you talked about there's a lot of cyberbullying for women who speak out in Taiwan. Is that also something you have observed in? 
the U.S. or other countries' Me Too movement? Yeah, definitely. Cyberbullying is the thing that took place long before year 2017 in Australia, states in East Asian countries. Take United States as example. That is the case. People question the credibility of the victims, and doxing try to dig out their personal information and gather people together, cyberbully the victims. Yeah, that that's the case, and that's also the case here in Taiwan. We saw nowadays some messages, okay, appear to be very innocent, trying to very curious and question the alleged victims, saying that how come you didn't come forward,、mm-hmm. say twenty years ago. I guess you you wanna in Chinese、mm-hmm. we say chen,、huh? try to be part of this wave. So join the party. Yeah, join the party, and maybe you make up the stories、uh, since you remain anonymous. So we witnessed the, this kind of attitude and messages here. Why is there so much skepticism on people speak out about ex- experiences? Because you know you talk about you ask me about this、uh, traditional cultural thing. Because before this wave, how we look at sexual harassment, we tend to look at it as not malicious, not very serious. Okay, we in Mandarin we say "chi chi dof." Oh, chi dof! It's nothing. It happens all the time. It's trivialized. Yeah, exactly. Trivialized this personal trauma, and the lesson there is you just have to eat it. Okay, because it's not just you. Everybody will. Go through this kind of process. It feel like a rite of passage or something. Feminists used to say personal is political, but it seems that、like、few people will really look at what women, men experienced as political. Not party politics, but it has a lot to do with human rights. So that's the thing. Before this wave in our society, people don't consider it to be serious. It's just everyday life experience. Okay, and this is what we call the continual violence, because violence is not something you experience in single case. Violence is accumulated from some bad jokes and seemingly unintentional touch or commenting on people how they dress, exactly how they look. Like, oh, the dress you're wearing is so beautiful. You have a nice body. Exactly. Yeah, and, and they will say, "I'm complimenting you. Why are you so angry?" Exactly,、yeah. compliment you as a real woman. Okay, have a lot of sexual attraction, things like that. If you are upset, you are angry with it, then you you lost your cool because femininity has a lot to do with being mild, smiling all the time, and nodding your head without talking back. Yeah. So I think this is really a watershed moment where this. Kind of behavior that was considered nothing or considered normal before is people are realizing that it's not okay、mm-hmm. to do that, and we should have a different awareness. Okay, so a lot of people are calling this Taiwan's Me Too moment, but is the movement also facing challenges or resistance in Taiwan? What is your observation? Yeah. Our mainstream news media tend to take messages, especially those provocative ones, as the public opinions. So they would report it on behalf of general public. It's not just what happened now. Two years ago, the digital sexual violence cases erupted, such as deepfake female celebrities and 
fabricated their porn films and used those to lure paid members and spread the films online. We NGOs legislators urged to revise the criminal law, civil law, so to curb this kind of violence. But back then, public, not just public, news media selectively picked the, the messages and advocate and pit against the cases of murder cases with this kind of gender violation cases. Those cases are, say, because back then, because of COVID, and general public are required to wear a mask when they go into a convenience store, things like that. So there are several cases, like people disobey the rule and rush into the convenience store and ask to put on masks. So went crazy and, and murder and hurt the clerks there. We, we did have cases like that. So news media use netizens' comments and saying that why we urge the reform of the law to curb the gender violence cases, we're supposed to focus or we're supposed to switch our attention to those murder cases. They are the poorest. They are the ones demand our attention. The situation is kind of similar here because nowadays we have tons of cases, Me Too cases, and general public gradually have the sentiment saying that enough is enough. Now it's about the time we switch our attention to other cases. Yeah, it's time to move on. Yeah, other than gender-related cases. As if it's done, it's time to wrap up. It's, it's, we have it enough, okay? So I think this is the challenge or resistance in Taiwan because we consume the cases without really trying to figure out the solution for those, not just women, men, for the general public. Who have experienced this kind of trauma, right? Yeah. So there, be, just because there's so many cases emerging each day, doesn't mean it's automatically solved when they are shared. So I think it is really our job of the media, either it's mainstream media or influencer. We all have the responsibility to pursue these cases and maybe do very thorough investigative reporting to really dig out the structural problems. Yeah, we are not just the ones who consume the information. We're the ones who experience the call to reform, and it's everybody's responsibility. But it's just it's so easy to just consume the information, saying that okay, I know that, so case is closed. Yeah, yeah. So from awareness, we must move on to action. I think there's some legal changes that happened in the U.S. following the Me Too movement. So, so what is the progress of legal reform regarding sexual harassment in Taiwan? And could you comment on that? Take the United States as an example. As far as I know, the Me Too movement may not have, uh, at the states, may not have much success at the federal level, okay? Although it produced some major piece of legislation. But between year 2017 to year 2022, at the level of states, states level, it introduced more than 2,000 Me Too-related bills, and one-tenth of the, the bills have passed. So many of the laws focus specifically on sexual harassment, including topics like anti-harassment training and accountability for government officials. And this mirror reflected the media headlines focusing on high-level perpetrators and sexual misconduct. So it's not just reveal the information which celebrity has experienced this kind of sexual harassment. 
the follow-up is imperative because we have to count on the awareness and also the law reforms. So the atmosphere, the gender script will be totally rewritten.、Mm-hmm. Right. And are we expecting to see any legal changes in Taiwan? Yeah. Right at this moment, at the beginning of July. Most of the central government actually they work on this reform, trying to hold the hearings and hold a series of meetings, day and nights. I would say that, and trying to meet the deadlines of the end of July, trying to reform the gender-related laws, the three anti-harassment laws and gender equity laws, campus and workplace. So it's expected to have law reforms before the end of July. Actually, feminist scholars and NGOs have done a lot, a lot of work and research analysis in the past in trying to call for the law reforms with little effects. And this time, hopefully, the law can be reformed, especially the law related to gender equality in workplace. Right. So after this, a lot of cases of Me Too. What kind of changes can we expect to to see in Taiwan, and in ideally, what kind of change would you like to see? I think it's taking place gradually. One of my friends who have received a message from her ex boyfriend, he wrote her this message and saying that he remembered back in the old days when she tried to share her experiences, not a good one, being sexually harassed on campus, in company. And he said it in the letter, saying that he did not know what to respond, how to react, because part of him tried to believe that's true, but part of him had no experience how to handle this kind of emotion, and personally, he himself did not have this kind of experience. So he remembered he just listened, and hoping that. After she shared the experiences, then they can do something else. He remembered that's the way he reacted to his girlfriend's emotional sharing. But now he 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 put it in the letter saying that now he fully understand because everybody shared the experience, and he startled to realize that it's not just the individual rare case. It's almost like every woman's daily lives. So he apologized in saying that he tried to amend the mistakes, and he would listen and try to figure out what he can do. I think the story is really touching because we try to reform the laws, we try to write up new stories, and we try to share the stories. But what is most important is general public. They realize it's not just hearsay. Something intolerable. It happens to people around you, and and people feel like feel the need to take action to be part of it, and not just just onlookers. So I think that's that's very imperative, very powerful. Yeah. So that's a really powerful account, I think, because we could have thousands and thousands of victims who speak up, but if they fall on deaf ears and、exactly. if they They don't change how people think. Then this movement has no meaning and has no impact. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm really honored and happy to have had Dr. Fang as our guest today, and I believe 
the story will, will go on, and I believe there are still going to be many other accounts that surface. And the Me Too moment, I believe, it has just started. This is definitely not the end of the Me Too movement in Taiwan. So it was a very, very revealing conversation. But I think Dr. Fang also has a very good film that she would like to recommend. That's very much related to our topic today. So, Dr. Fang, could you make a rec recommendation? Sure. The title of the film is called "Force of Habit." Force of Habit. It's a 2019 film, back four years ago. So, this movie, this film, is composed of several episodes, and each episode. Begins with the familiar sexual harassment, sexual abuse situation. Yeah, I highly recommend. So everybody can find their daily experiences in the film, male or female. So it's brilliant. Good. Yeah, I just looked it up. It's a Swedish film, and I guess the force of habit. The habit is maybe normalizing sexual harassment exactly. in the in the daily life. So this is a very relevant topic. So I recommend that everyone should find this film and and watch it. Online, if you can, definitely. So, thank you, Dr. Fang. Thank you. Thank you today. Thank you for having me. If you like our show, please leave a review or write us an email. Follow Taiwanology wherever you get your podcasts. Our next episode will be online August eighth. Taiwanology is produced by Wei Ru Wang, edited by Ian Huang. I'm your host, Guangying Liu. Talk to you soon.